from the front lines of the green rush. This is Green Entrepreneur, where business owners talk about how they found success in cannabis and how you can too. Well, hey, everybody, welcome to the Green Entrepreneur Podcast. My name is John Small, and I am the editor-in-chief of Green Entrepreneur. And I recorded this next interview live from the floor of Hall of Flowers, which is a B2B business trade show that takes place twice a year in California. It's where brands and retailers and buyers all kind of converge and make deals and show their wares and basically get very, very stoned. And it's, it's an incredible event, especially if you just want to get a lay of the land of where the cannabis industry is and where it is going. And I had the pleasure while I was uh, at the convention of meeting up with Emily Paxia, who is the managing director of Poseidon Investment Management, which is one of the longest running dedicated cannabis investment funds. And Emily has been at this for over 10 years. She's reviewed thousands of companies in the cannabis industry. She's helped shape founders' pitches, their go-to market strategies, and she's advised on their day-to-day business operations. She knows her stuff. And so I was very curious to get Emily's take on what she was seeing, both at Hall of Flowers and just in the industry in general, and where she sees it all going in 2022. I think you will find this an extremely enlightening conversation. Emily is really smart about the business and very honest and transparent. So without further ado, I bring you Emily Paxia from the floor of Hall of Flowers. All right. Hey, everybody. It's John Small from Green Entrepreneur. I am on the floor of Hall of Flowers 2021, and I am just delighted to be with Emily Paxia. Emily, welcome. Hi, everyone. Thanks so much for having me, John. It's very fun to have you here. And it's we've been trying to find a quiet space, and we're just going to have to deal with the fact that there is no quiet space at Hall of Flowers, no matter where you go, even in the restrooms. So we'll do our best here. But I thought it'd be fascinating to get your perspective as a premier investor in this space, and you have been for so long. Um, first of all, tell me when you, well, first of all, let's give a little background to our audience about who you are and what you, what you do. Yeah. So I'm Emily Paxia, co-founder and managing director of Poseidon. Poseidon has three funds, seven syndicate vehicles, and now an ETF investing into the cannabis industry. So we cover everything from pretty early stage private companies all the way through to public companies and and we've done lending and so pretty exciting it's exciting to be here at the hall of flowers i've gone since the first hall of flowers i skipped santa rosa this year because i was going to come to this one i wanted to see what was going on in palm spring see the more southern california market focus of this event but very excited to be here today I'm finding that the only place that we're standing is right in front of the map of Hall of Flowers. So all these people are trying to, <laughs> the quietest place is in front of the map. So Emily, talk to me about somebody like you who comes to an event like this. What's sort of your purpose? Do you look for companies that you might be interested in investing in, meet with some of your clients? Tell me a little bit like what you do when you come to something like this. Yeah. So when the first events we used to go to were MJ BizCon. And when we started, there was like 800 people at that show. I think this year it was over 40,000 people in Vegas during that time. And so one of the things we like to do is see how these trade shows are leading indicators of growth and evolution of a market. And that trade show has become very B2B, but a lot on the like kind of agriculture tech side and software side. This is all about brands and about retailing and cannabis, which for us is where the future of this industry is headed. Cannabis is a consumer product or a wellness product. And so being able to be here at this show, 
We're able to scope out trends and what's happening in different product form factors, different categories, the way brands are forming truly cohesive visions around what they're doing in this market. And California has gone through a pretty tough time. We saw a bit of a glitch in the supply demand curve. And so whole flour is selling for probably the lowest it's ever sold for in the legal market in uh, California. But being at this show is a reminder of why the California market is so exciting. And first, it's an immense market and very competitive. And we always say that if you can build a brand successfully in California, you should be able to take that to a national footprint because this is like the proven ground. And so very excited to see what this market has to offer. And it's a nice reminder of why we believe so much in the California cannabis industry. So Frank Sinatra sort of had it a little wrong. If you can make it here in California, you can make it anywhere when it comes to cannabis. That's right. And I agree with that. I think that's the thing. So, you know, we're a California focused firm or, or based firm. Poseidon is in San Francisco. And so we're leaning in as we always do when it's hard. So I love that you talked about you're looking at trends because I'm really, you know, we're coming at the end of 21 as we record this. And I'd love to hear about kind of what you're seeing and what you're forecasting and where the investment dollars are going to go in 2022. So can you tell me a little bit about like what you're seeing that's that's new right now? Yeah. So a few years ago, there were a lot of investors that came into the space and they were like, it's going to be all about brands. And I'm like, well, that's a pretty obvious statement. I think we all agree on that. But I think the thing that we, that a lot of people learned the hard way, but I knew because I used to do consulting for brands in my prior life before cannabis is that it's expensive and takes time. And by the way, if you do a good job, everyone's gonna come gunning for you to compete. So a category I would say that has gotten extremely competitive and very hot is the gummy category. And the reason for that is because the flavor profiles have gotten really interesting. The packaging is really beautiful. The dosage is easier to titrate. And so you can modify to match your preference in terms of consuming cannabis. And all you have to do, we use headset data. Uh, full disclosure, we're investors, but also also our users of the data. And you can, all, I mean, you, when you look at the data around gummies, it's like so far above the rest of the edible categories and growing. So. We're watching for trends like that. And so another thing, like yesterday, I saw some really cool form factors for other ways of doing a similar thing, like more of like a Starburst type, like chewy thing, which is not technically a gummy, but kind of getting at that same thing or um, a hard candy, like a lozenge that you put under your tongue for a different absorption effect. So some things like that, we're just watching to see what's happening. And then there are some MSOs multi-state operators and SSOs, single-state operators, like we're right by the parent company's booth. And what we're looking at is to see how these bigger, fully vertically integrated operators are approaching their brand strategy. So for a long time, it was like, just get the grow open, get the stores open and just sell weed. But like now it's like, okay, where you create a moat around pricing and stickiness with the consumer is to create different brand categories that target different consumer bases so that you can have a more sophisticated offering. And a lot of these operators intelligently have figured out that selling through 20, 30% of your shelf is your product on the full vertical, you're going to maximize margins. So it's a- it's That's a really cool. interesting that, yeah, to see that. And I'm surprised being here at Hall of Flowers, how many sort of new products are launching here that are not part of MSOs, that are not part of larger. Do you think there's still the ability to be sort of a, a small company in this space with a brand right now? I mean, are we getting, are we still there? I would love to think so. And I hope we are there where we continue to see, because I think innovation comes from smaller companies. They're more nimble. 
they're more able to make bold moves and sometimes those bold moves can really pay off. So I think you have to be pretty well capitalized or extremely prudent about your allocation of capital to do it. But more than ever, we do have support in the supply chain for brands to participate and to leverage like co-packing. I mean, now if you want to think about it, the wholesale price of cannabis is so low. I'm just seeing friends at the Hall of Flowers that your quote unquote active ingredient cost just went way down. And so you could actually see some interesting margin accretion around that. But I do think I'm hopeful and I believe you can still have small brands. And I think that's the beauty of a free market society is like Salesforce became what it is because it came gunning for Oracle. I mean, like, and those are two massive companies now. And then there's other companies running up right behind them. And the same is true if you look at the consumer packaged goods industry. Innovation always comes a lot of time from not the big corporations, but from smaller companies that are nimble and able to dive in. So it seems like that's why events like this might be important, because I mean, I'm, I'm wondering if you as an investor and you oversee, you know, certain some of your portfolio companies, you advise them to come to events like this and show their wares. Like, is it a good investment of their marketing dollars? Yeah, I mean, so yesterday, as you pointed out, was the day for buyers and for B2B business to get done. And I know the companies love that because it's super competitive to get on these shelves or to get with these distributors. And so if you can showcase your brand, I think it's a great use of time and, and money. I also think it's just a great way, like if, as an investor, if I didn't come and understand what this looked like, and I, I would have a serious blind spot in my investing thesis, you know, it's, it's truly invaluable information. I think the other thing is that, yeah, the networking around this, and if you're looking to license your brand into other states through bigger platforms, this is where you could be to get discovered by those platforms. So like, I'm sure there are MSO operators walking this floor today, looking at opportunities to bring some of these brands into their fold on the Eastern states. You mentioned gummies is something that you have your eyes on and there's a lot of movement in that space now and it's growing and we're seeing it in the data. Anything else? I'm noticing a lot of more beverage companies here this year. Is that maybe overplayed a bit or what do you think? The beverage is really interesting. For a long time, people have been kind of talking about it like it's the silver bullet. And, you know, Canopy Growth Corp is like, I don't know, got raised $4 billion from Constellation brands basically on that thesis. I think you can build a beverage for a lot less money and we're seeing it here. But I've been doing a, a real deep dive on the category also, like, and my whole team, we've been testing different products and trying to understand it. And I love it. I think it's a fantastic category. It's tiny. And there are many logistical issues around beverage that a lot of people don't understand, such as the weight of the products for distribution, wear and tear on your vehicles, manufacturing of them, consistency of them. And then when you get them to the retailers, the storage of them, like, there's just end to end a lot of logistical challenges around it, but consumers are picking up on this trend. And I think on the East Coast, where people have never had a legal market, they're going to lose their mind when some of these beverages get out there. It's like, and I've even seen myself, like I'm a two and a half milligram gal, so I'm not that exciting, but like I'll drink and instead of drinking alcohol three nights a week, not that I have to be on a substance every night, but I do like to have kind of a ritual of like a nice drink in the evening when I'm making dinner and, and a two and a half milligram like Wonder or Can or um, Gem and Jane have become kind of my go-tos on that. So. Oh, cool. We talk about what's hot right now. What would you, if you were trying to get into the business now or thinking about getting out of business, what, what are some of the, the markets that are not maybe growth markets right now or growth sectors of the, of the industry? What's not growth? In terms of product categories? 
yeah, product categories or even like should one get into cultivation now given kind of, yeah, like that seems like you're shaking your head. So talk to me about that a bit. Oh, man. I mean, it's just so sad. There are so many unbelievably talented uh, cultivators in the state of California who've been doing this for years. And this state has failed them just miserably on the state level and on the local level. And the reason for that is that we have this like messed up concept of a sort of free market. A lot of people don't realize this. The state of California has at most at this point, a thousand retail doors. So that's your point of funnel. I mean, yes, we have delivery companies, but like there's just no way to address the population size with that number of outlets for the consumers. I think it's one in every 47,000 people. That's amazing. If you live in LA, it feels like there's a cannabis store in every corner, but that's LA, right? And, and same with San Francisco, where you live. Yeah, but then you look at these other markets like Fresno, that's a massive market and they just got their adult use permits going. And so... So it's tough. Cultivation is tough. What about the product sectors? Do you think like is flour over or would there always be a market for flour? Flour remains one of the biggest categories. Like, But what's interesting is I'm seeing this massive growth in the infused pre-roll category. That's been getting a huge lift. So that's really interesting. Gen Z is actually really getting into the vape products, which I'm happy to see that coming back around after the vape hysteria. It, categories I think that are kind of like just not having that much lift off are, well, we're, chocolates for a while were a big thing. I've seen that's kind of like flat to declining. And a lot of groups that are trying to do the like tinctures or gel caps, it's just not seeing that explosive category growth that you see in like flour, the infused pre-rolls or something like gummies or beverage. So, well, you're obviously incredibly smart and, and know this business really well. If people, I don't know if I want to encourage people because you, your inbox could get flooded here, but I mean, how do people find you? How do people find Poseidon? Yeah, they can find me on Twitter. Mpax1 is my Twitter handle. M-P-A-X-1. M-P-A-X-1. Yeah. So that's a good one. I'm on LinkedIn. And then you can go to Poseidon.partners if you want to read more about our firm. What's the biggest mistake people make when approaching an investor? Oh, biggest mistake is a thoughtless initial communication. It's very obvious when someone has put zero thought into what they're sending you, and it usually translates in the message. So I would say be very purpose-driven when you're reaching out to an investor. Do a little research so you know what they're focused on. I get a lot of inquiries about types of things that we just don't invest in, and it's pretty clear when you look at our website, the areas we're focused on. So I would say, you know, do the diligence on the investor, just like they'll do the diligence on you. On the flip side, people who have really impressed you, and it doesn't have to be in this at this event, although it'd be sort of interesting at Hall of Flowers, whether you've met anybody here who had such a pitch that you were like, and you don't have to name names, but I don't know, maybe you don't want to do that. But is there, have you met anybody at this event? or come across any companies at this event where you were really impressed by their sales pitch and you thought, that's a company that I might want to do business with. So Hervé did a really cool thing where they put my name on a macaroon yesterday. So that was a pretty good sales pitch. That was good. I actually put it on my Instagram. I put a green entrepreneur one on my Instagram. That was a good sales pitch. As, yeah, as far as marketing goes, I don't know if it means you want to spend money on that company, but yeah. No, I mean, beautiful products. And they had a really cool form factor too. That was the sublingual hard candy I was mentioning. They have this cool thing. It's like comes in like a lipstick type container and you twist it and a serving comes out of five milligram and you pop it off like almost like a little Pez. It's like a, it's like Pez for cannabis. Yeah, I, I like that. So that was one that you, that Hervé is a, a company out of Canada, but they're, oh, they're opening and they have a Nevada presence and one in California. All right. Well, 
that's cool. But as far as like generally speaking, I just want to give people an optimistic feeling of like when they're talking to an investor, a potential investor, what you look for, like what, what makes you, gets you excited. First thing we do is we look at a team. I look to make sure they've done the research on their market and that they're truly offering something unique and defensible and that they they have a plan for how what the tenure of an investment would look like and what their goal is in the company. Because the thing I've learned and has been solidified by my time in, in investing is that if you're not aligned from the beginning, you're not going to have a great experience on either side of the table. So especially as an institutional investor, like I invest on behalf of other people. So I have a fiduciary responsibility. So you really have to think about that. And so I'm always looking for alignment on that and, and understanding about it. So, Emily, thank you so much for taking time, sharing your wisdom with us, and uh, enjoy the rest of the show. Thank you for listening to the Green Entrepreneur Podcast. To find out more about Green Entrepreneur, you can go to greenentrepreneur.com or check out our magazine on newsstands everywhere. Check out our Instagram at Green Entrepreneur. We're also on Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, and all other social media feeds. If you like this podcast and you'd like to hear more from me, Jonathan Small, check out my other podcast, Right About Now, that's W-R-I-T-E, to get some in-depth interviews into the lives and stories of successful writers, how they got there, what they learned, and what you need to succeed. That's writeaboutnowmedia.com. Until next episode. We'll THC you later.